Delighted that you're here. We have a number of visitors with us. We're glad you've come. We hope you can come back and be with us at other opportunities. The last Lord's Day, we dealt with a study called Building Up the Church. And in that, we talked about what does it mean to build up the church. We've talked about when the church is built up and some things that are not essential to building up the church. In that study, we listed a number of ways that that might be accomplished through personal evangelism, through pulpit preaching, through quality Bible classes, through God-fearing families, withdrawing from the disorderly, through meaningful worship, sacrificial giving, genuine love for one another, and through individual involvement. The latter of those is what we want to focus on in our study this morning, of building up the church through individual involvement. Individual Christians are often not as active in a local church as they could or should be. What do we mean by that? Sometimes we think in terms of church as being a group and an organization, and it is. And therefore, we stand by waiting for the church to act. And so we want to be a part of the church. We want to be a part of the group. We want to identify with the group. But then we stand by waiting for the church to do whatever it needs to do. And so we may sit on the sidelines as spectators, ready to applaud or perhaps criticize what they have done. And so we're waiting for the church to do what needs to be done in the service of the Lord. And when they do, then we say, well, they did the church did a good job. But when the church didn't do that, then we criticize what they are doing. They're not doing what they ought to be doing. We sometimes act as if there is no job or function for me as an individual, but we wait for the church to act. And I cite Matthew 20, we won't turn there, but Matthew 20 verses 6 and 7, why stand you here idle all the day? That was the parable that dealt with that, that question. Why do we stand idle waiting on others to act when we are a part of that local church? So let's talk about building up the church through individual involvement. We're going to do a series of studies or look at several different ways in which we build up and strengthen and edify the church. But one of the ways we can build the church, <clears throat> make it grow, make it stronger, make it better, is through individual involvement, what you as an individual can do, not what just the leaders may do or what we as a group may do in our function, but through individual involvement. Three things we want to talk about. First, here's this. Let's talk about how Christianity is mainly an individual matter. Christianity is mainly an individual matter. Before we develop that, let me footnote to say that that does not mean that there is not corporate activity, that is, as a group, or that there is not collective activity. There is certainly collective activity where as a church, as a group, we function. Here's what we're doing as a church. And you can't do that as an individual, but we're going to do that as a church. <clears throat> but mainly, Christianity is an individual matter. It's an individual religion in the sense that it has to do with your relationship to God. So let's list a number of things about the individual now that will help us to understand that. First of all, we are called as individuals. What do we mean by that? That when God calls you to be His servant, God doesn't call for a group to be His servant. And therefore, if you happen to be in the group, then you're part of the ones that were called. But if you weren't in the group, you weren't called. 
But it's the idea that when God calls you, God's calling you as an individual. Let's see some passages that may help us with that. Let's turn to the book of John, chapter 6. <clears throat> Here's how God calls us to be his servants to start with. John, chapter 6, verses 44 and 45. No one can come unto me unless the Father who sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. As it is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. Therefore, every one an individual who has heard and has learned from the Father comes to me. So when you were called to be a Christian, when you were called by the gospel, you were called as an individual. As an individual, you heard the message and you heard the call and you learned that message. And we'll talk in a moment about responding to that message. The Great Commission, the gospel, is directed to every creature. Go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We don't preach to groups. Now, there may be groups that hear the gospel, but the point is, you don't go carry that to a church, but you carry that to the individuals. And so we're carrying out the Great Commission when you talk to your neighbor across the fence. Or if someone brought you the gospel, just you and them, that was the fulfillment of the Great Commission. We are called as individuals. But let's go further. As individuals, we obey the gospel. We don't obey the gospel as a group, but we obey as individuals. You obeyed the gospel. It wasn't the church here obeyed the gospel, but you as an individual became a Christian. Look at Romans chapter 6. You were baptized into Christ. Romans chapter 6, talking about not continuing in sin. But he says at verse 3 of chapter 6, Do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him through baptism into death that just as Jesus was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. So when you were baptized, were you baptized as a group or as an individual? Well, you know the answer to that. Romans 6, same chapter, verses 17 and 18, we obey as an individual the form of doctrine to which you were delivered. That is, you obeyed the doctrine of Christ and you responded as an individual. Let's go even further. As individuals, we are saved. Now, the church is the saved. I recognize that, and that is referring to a group. The church is a group. Church is always a plurality. Never is it used with reference to an individual. But as a group, we're not saved, but those who are in the group are saved individual. Here's what we mean. They were saved by our own personal faith. That is, you're not saved because of the faith of the group. You're not saved as because of the elders' faith. You're saved because of your faith. By grace, are you saved through faith? That's your faith. It's not my faith. My faith could be weak. My faith could be strong. That has nothing to do with your faith. You're saved by your faith. Therefore, being justified by faith. Whose faith? That's your faith. Romans 5 and in verse 2. The gospel is the power of God. Romans 1.16. To everyone that believeth. It's the power of God. And, uh, uh, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. To who? To everyone who believes. That's you. That's me. That's every individual. And so as individuals... We indeed are saved. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. Christ is the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So you're saved as an individual. We're to repent and be baptized. Acts 2.38, the wording of that is every one of you. So when you repented, you were the one repenting, not the group. You're being baptized as an individual. But that's another point. Let's consider the fact that as individuals, we abide in Christ and we serve him. Let's go to the book of Jude and notice verse 21. As each individual keeps himself in the love of God, that's what we're doing as an individual. 
not just as a group we function. Jude verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord into eternal life. And so each individual has a responsibility to keep himself in the love of God. Let's go to John chapter 15. John 15 is abused by our religious friends. <clears throat> How so is that uh, so abused? Well, they talk about the branch, the vine and the branches, and they view Christ as the vine, and the branches, they think, as reference to various denominations of various churches. Well, that's not the picture at all of John chapter 15. The picture of John 15 is Jesus is the vine, and you, that is, individuals are the branches. That's the point. Individuals are the branches. Look at verse 40, verse 4, 5, and 6. John 15. He said, Abide in me, and I in you. And as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in me, neither can you unless you uh, abide in me. He's talking about individuals. I am the vine. Now notice the personal pronoun. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bear, must bear uh, much fruit. For without me you can do nothing if anyone does not abide in me. So Jesus is the vine, and you are one of the branches. I'm one of the branches, and he is one, and she is one of the branches, not the church as a whole. So as individuals, we are branches that are connected to the vine. Philippians 2 and in verse 12, we'll talk about this in our study tonight. Each one of us is to work out our own salvation, carry it out till its full end. We'll talk more about what that means this evening, but that tells me that as individuals, we are to serve him and we are to abide in Christ. Let's go even further. As individuals, we must overcome evil with good. Now, as a church, we may be fighting that. As a group, we can work together. We can have uh, studies. We can have gospel meetings, and we might fight error. We might fight evil. But as an individual, you are to overcome evil with good. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 is in the context of relationships. Relationships not that the church has with the community. But what you as an individual has to his God, to his community, to his fellow Christian, even to his enemy, and later to civil government, chapter 13. Let's see what he says in the middle of that, verse 21. He says, be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So as an individual, you have the responsibility to overcome evil with good. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the seven churches many of which had problems, some of them didn't, but many of them had problems. Notice the one that overcomes. It's the one that eats of the tree of life, that's an individual, that's not heard in the second death, chapter 2 and in verse 11, that's an individual, who's clothed in right raiment, chapter 3 and in verse 5, that's an individual, whose name will not be blotted out, chapter 3 and in verse 5, that's an individual. So as individuals, we overcome evil with good. But let's list one more. As individuals, we are, will be judged. In the day of judgment, and I think some have this misconception that in the day of judgment, God's going to call the churches together, and if you happen to be in the right church, then therefore you're going to be, in the, you're going to be ushered into heaven. Or maybe they'll call them as congregations, and so each congregation will come before the Lord, and when the Elbethel church comes before the Lord, then if you happen to be in the Elbethel church, and it gets punched into heaven, then you get punched in with everybody. That's not the picture at all. Let's go to John chapter, or Matthew chapter 25 to start with, in verse 31. The great separation is based on an individual basis. 
Go to Matthew chapter 25. Jesus had just said in Matthew 24 about the separation that takes place in the day of judgment. In that day, no one knows the day nor the hour, he says. And now notice in chapter 25, beginning at verse 31, when the Son of Man comes with his holy angels, all the nations will be gathered before him, and he'll separate them one from another as a shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. And so verse 34 now, some on the right hand, he's going to say, come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I was hungry and you gave me no food, and I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. He's talking about what each individual had done. Let's go a little further. Look at verse 41. Those on the left hand depart from me. Why? I was hungry and you gave me no food and I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. Here's what you did as an individual. All I'm trying to drive at is that great, the great separation is based on individual deeds. 2 Corinthians 5 and in verse 10, everyone will be judged by the deeds that are done in his body. Not talking about the body in the sense of a church, what you've done in your physical body, what you have done and how you've conducted yourself as you live in your body. You're going to be judged by, by the deeds that you have done. That's an individual judgment. Romans 14 and in verse 12, everyone must give an account of himself to God. And so the church, whatever happens to the rest of the, in the church, you're going to be judged as an individual. What have you done? How have you lived? How have you conducted yourself? Not just are you a part of the group. John 5, Revelation 2, talks about each one is judged according to his works. Let's go to John 5. That's a great passage dealing with the idea of the judgment, where Jesus is going to be the judge. Look at verse 28 and 29. We're focusing on each one according to his deeds or his works. Look at verse 28, John 5. Do not marvel. At this, for the hour is coming in which all in the graves will hear his voice and shall come forth, they that have done good, they, the individual that's done good, to the resurrection of life, and those that have done evil, the individual, to the resurrection of condemnation. So here's what we just learned. That Christianity is mainly an individual matter. So what do we mean by that? Well, we're called as individuals. We obey the gospel as individuals. We're saved as individuals. We abide in Christ as individuals. We overcome evil as individuals. And in the end, we'll be judged as individuals. So Christianity is mainly an individual matter. Now, we could stop at that juncture, and we've already concluded something that tells me the church is going to be strengthened and built up in individual involvement. But let's go a step further. Let's consider that each member must do his part. Each member, that's you, not each elder, not each deacon, but each member, that's you, that's me, must do his or her part. The church is to be built, strengthened and edified by the labor of all, that is everyone doing his part. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look at two passages that make this point. We touched on these lightly Last week, as we talked about building up the church, Ephesians 4 and in verse 16. Notice the whole body. I want you to get this picture in both, both verses. That the whole body, that is every individual coming together and each one doing its part. And the parallel is that as your physical body has different parts of the body, different organs of the body, and they all come together and each one's doing its part. Each individual organ is doing its part to make the function of the body work. So the same principle is here. Look at chapter 4, verse 16. And from the whole body, joined and knit together, by which every joint supplies. 
according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Just like in your body. When the heart's doing its part, and the lung is doing its part, and the ears are doing its part, and the legs are doing its part, the lungs aren't doing the function of the heart, and the brain's not doing the function of the lungs, but each one is doing its own part. The same thing in the body of Christ. The church is built and strengthened when each part does its function. Let's go to another text along the same line, basically the same point, this time in the book of Colossians. Let's go to Colossians 2 and in verse 19. Remember, Ephesians and Colossians are uh, to a great deal of parallel. All the body is to be knit together. And that is, each one doing its part. You leave one of the parts out, and it's not all knit together. Look at verse 19. And not holding fast to the head, that is, those who go astray will not be holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows to the increase which is from God. What's he saying? Again, every part fitting together, doing its part, therefore the church indeed is strengthened. Let's continue that thought. We're developing the idea that each member must do his part. Each one has a different gift. Now let's talk about two different kinds of gifts. First of all, as in your physical body, each member has a different function. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. No passage makes this any clearer than 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And well, it may, the principle is going to be true of 1 Corinthians 12, and then we'll make application as immediately in this context it does to spiritual gifts. But let's talk about the general concept. Start with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 14. The body is not one member, but many. What does it mean? Well, a body, your physical body, is not made up of one organ, but it has many different organs. Each one has a different function. We're going to see that. Look at verse 15. If the foot should say, I have no need, uh, I'm not the hand, and uh, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? Or if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, therefore is it not of the body? Could you imagine personifying the organs of the body? Suppose the ear should say, well, I'm not the eye, and since I don't function like an eye, then I'm not really a part of this body. That doesn't make sense, does it? What I'm learning from that is that each member has a different role, has a different function, has a different part, has a different goal that it accomplishes. So let's drop down now to verse 28. Look at verse 28, 29. That as God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles and the gifts of healing and helps and administrations and very, a variety of tongues are all apostles. What's he talking about? In the days of spiritual gifts, and that's what he's talking about in the context, spiritual gifts differed. And as these spiritual gifts differed, they all didn't have the same function. Everybody wanted the same gift of tongues, but everybody couldn't speak in tongues. What if everybody spoke in tongues? There's no interpretation is his point. So everybody has a different gift. Everybody has a different function. We're, we're driving at the point that each person must do their part. Now let's make application to natural gifts. Let's go to Romans 12. And as you're turning there, you may be thinking, uh, is that talking about natural gifts? Well, Spiritual gifts might be included in Romans 12, but I would have to think from verse 3 that there's some natural gifts included here. So what are we talking about? Well, he said, I say through the grace, I'm reading it verse 3, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Don't lift yourself up thinking you're the most important member or organ in the body. But think soberly, as God has dealt to every man, the measure of faith. What's the measure of faith? Well, by context, he's talking about abilities. 
that might include spiritual gifts, as per 1 Corinthians 12, but it might include natural gifts that we would have. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think of yourself commensurate with what abilities you do have. Don't deflate your ability. Use your ability. And think of yourself commensurate with the ability that you have. Now notice verse 4. He begins to make application. That is, are many members in one body, and yet members do not have the same function. One might be a teacher. One of them can't teach at all. One might be a singer, can lead singing. Another one can't do that at all. One may be a great encourager, and another one can't do very good at that. And there are various functions we have. Each one has a different gift. Still developing the idea that each one has, must do his part. We're only responsible for doing what we can. What do we mean by that? Let's take the parable of the talents, for example. Without even turning there, you remember there was a man who had five talents, another man had uh, two talents, another man had one talent. The man who has five talents is only responsible for dealing with five talents. But the man with two talents wasn't responsible for five talents, he's only responsible for two. The man with one talent is only responsible for one talent. So if I learn anything from that parable, I learned that we're only responsible for what we can do. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 8 and in verse 12. And as you're turning there, let me set the context. The church at Corinth had been ready a year before this of sending money to take care of those who were in need, but they hadn't done anything about it. They hadn't got their contribution together. And so he says this. He says, for if there must first be a willing mind, it is accepted according to what one has and not according to what one does not have. They were willing a year ahead. They just didn't follow through with that. Here's, here's the conclusion I'm drawing, at least the lesson I'm learning from that. It's far better to have a willing mind than to wait until we can accomplish something great. In other words, we are responsible for doing what we can do. You're not responsible for what you say, I, I want to do something in the kingdom. I want to be effective in the kingdom, but, but I don't have the ability to, and then you fill in the blank. Well, do whatever you can do rather than waiting on the ability to do what you can't do right now. You say, I, I would love to do great things in the kingdom, but I don't have money to spend where I could help in the kingdom. Well, then maybe there's something else you can do in the kingdom. You say, I'd like to teach, but I haven't developed those skills yet. Well, then do something else that you can do rather than waiting on the ability to teach. Then develop, then develop that ability. Better to have a willing mind than to wait until that's accomplished. Now, here's something else. Still developing the idea that each one must do his part. We're all to do what we can. Now, we're only responsible for what we can do. But we're to do what we can. Go back to the parable of the talents. The five-talent man could gain five talents more, and he did. And the two-talent man could gain two talents more, and he did. The one-talent man could have gained one talent more, and he didn't. We're all to do what we can do. Ecclesiastes 9 says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. Put all of your gusto and energy and vitality into doing whatever it is that you can do. Now, we need to understand we can't work by proxy. What does that mean? If each one is to do his part and the church is going to be built up through individual involvement, I can't work through someone else. Meaning, I can't lean on my parents and say, you know what, because they're doing good, then therefore that counts for me. Or my family is doing good, therefore that counts for me. Or because uh, we have some good teachers and they're doing their part, that counts for me. We can't work by proxy. 
Back to 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10, we're going to be judged individually, not by what somebody else has done. God doesn't call us account and say, well, no, you have good parents, and they did good, so therefore I'm going, to, I'm going to let you in. And you have good children, therefore I'm going to let you in based upon their faithfulness. Your good friend was, was very diligent, I'm going to let you in based on them. You're judged individually. Galatians chapter 6, when we do what we should, let's turn to Galatians chapter 6. Then we have rejoicing in ourself. Notice Galatians 6, beginning at verse 4. Let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. That is, when you examine your own work and you're doing what you should, then you have rejoicing in yourself. And you're not rejoicing that someone else is. That needs to be done. But in this case, you're, there's individual responsibility. That's what we're driving at. So what have we seen in the second section? Each member must do his part. The church is built up by the labor of all, everyone doing his part. Everyone has a different gift. We're only responsible for what we can do, but we must do what we can, and we can't work through proxy. Here's our third and final point. Each one is responsible to do right regardless of what others do. We're driving at the point the church is built up through individual involvement. This church can be strong because you're doing what you do regardless with whether or not others are doing what they should. Others in your family may not be doing what they should. You may know of other Christians not doing what they should. You may even say, I don't think the leaders are doing what they should. But you can do what you should be doing. Let's develop that thought. The Lord has always had a faithful few. That's what we call the remnant all through the Old Testament, particularly when you get to the prophets of doom. What do I mean by prophets of doom? Like Jeremiah, Isaiah, Amos, and others would go to the people who were in sin and the nation that was in sin, telling them they were going to go astray and they were going to be going to captivity. And then there would be a promise a remnant would come back. Small portion be left. Let's go to Romans chapter 11. The the people of God have always been referred to as a remnant. There's always going to be a faithful few. In fact, let's go back before we get to Romans 11. In the Old Testament, the picture was that the nation as a whole went astray. They went into, uh, into idolatry. But there's still a faithful few. There was a remnant. There always has been. There always will be a remnant. And so as the nation went astray, there was a remnant left. And they came back into the land. They were smaller. They came back. And, and you look across the land and you say, churches are dwindling among churches of Christ. And they are. And people are going astray. You may even look at on a smaller scale within a local church and you see a church that was maybe 200 or 150. And then in a few years, they're about 50. And then a few years later, they're down to about 20. And then finally, they just closed the door. But there's a remnant somewhere. What few that were left are going to be identified somewhere as God's people. Look at Romans chapter 11 and verse 5. Here's that remnant mentioned. Even so then, at the present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. There always has been, there always will be a remnant. We read in Revelation chapter 2 that at Thyra Tower, there were a few that had not bowed to the pressure. Some had. But there were some that didn't bow to the pressure. 
Now, this is quite interesting to me, that in a lukewarm church, Revelation 3, Laodicea, look at Revelation 3 and in verse 20. You think if you were a part of the church that God wrote a letter to and it said that you are lukewarm and you're neither cold nor hot and I will spew thee out of my mouth, that there's not a person in that church stands for anything. And yet he said to that church, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock, and if anyone answers, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes. Even in that church, there were still a few. What I'm learning, the Lord has always had a faithful few. Now, I want to briefly talk about Timothy because we're going to develop Timothy more in our study tonight as we continue some studies in Philippians. So I just briefly mentioned the idea that Timothy was different than most of his peers. Because Paul makes the point that most seek their own, but he says Timothy is the exception to the rule. Well, I'm learning from that. Timothy's peers, people his age, people in his age bracket, generally weren't interested in things that are right. Timothy was. Timothy was. Dorcas individually served others. Remember that? Go to Acts chapter 9. Just be reminded of Dorcas. As they were standing around weeping about Dorcas, Remember what they were doing? They had the garments. Look at verse 39. Showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. She had individually served others. Regardless of what anybody else may be doing. The early church spread the gospel individually. Let's go to Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Remember when the, when the disciples were scattered over the persecution that arose over Stephen? It means they come to a group like this and the pressure becomes so great that people start being driven to other areas. You leave your home. You not only leave the assembly, you leave your home and go to another place. Look at verse 4. Acts 8 verse 4. That the disciples went everywhere preaching the word, the text says. And scattered. They were scattered everywhere and preached the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria. That's how the gospel got there. Early church spread the gospel individually. That wasn't a church taking off. One goes over here and preaches. One goes over there and teaches. Another one scattered off over there and teaches. Acts 18, 36. Do you remember when Apollos got uh, sidetracked? Or maybe I should say he never got it, had, hadn't been on the right track yet. On the baptism of John. And it was Priscilla and Aquila individually. Not as a church. They weren't functioning as appointees of the eldership. They took it on themselves to go to Apollos and teach him the way of God more perfectly. Correct him on that. You're wrong about this baptism of John stuff. And they straightened him out on that. And so what have I seen here? I've, I've seen that each one is responsible to do what's right regardless of what everybody else may be doing. The Lord's always had a faithful few. Are you in that faithful few? Timothy was different than the majority. Dorcas was different. They spread the gospel individually because they were different. And Priscilla and Aquila, they were different. And they went in everywhere preaching the word. Building up the church through individual involvement. If this church here is to be built up and be made strong, it's not going to be strong because we have good leaders or poor leaders. It's going to be made strong because each individual is trying to do their part through individual involvement. Regardless of what your neighbor may be doing. Regardless if they're hypocrites around, each one doing his part.
There may be one or more present who's not a Christian, who's not a child of God. Would you come believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Would you repent of your sins, acknowledge your faith, and be buried in the waters of baptism for the remission of sins? If you're subject in any way, would you come while together we stand and while we sing?